Can I say we'll give it up? Mel Brown. Cheers. Salud. <laughs> A taste. Ah! Got to get that taste right, you know? So nice to see you. Uh, one of my favorite musicians uh, in town. Um, an inspiring entrepreneur. Um, and I just got to tell you that when we first met um, at Voce, you were super uh, welcoming to me. And I was super green, bro. Uh, you know, and I come in with these kind of strange songs and you ran them down like you would, you know, any other musician. And I immediately felt comfortable making music with you. Oh, man, that's a huge compliment. Well, I... I, I and the music was beautiful. Well, I mean, you... The way that you describe being a novice in a way, uh, I mean, I I get it that you feel that way, but the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. <laughs> and... And that music, it, it it was just gorgeous music. Oh, I, thanks. I man. loved Jeez, it very much. I still do. I love it very, very much. Well, I, I just, I need to thank you for um, uh, taking it, you know, I guess on some level I needed it to be taken seriously, you know, to, to feel like it had value, you know, because I had just been playing, you know, working with, with uh, working with my band here in town and, but but never felt like it like it could do anything, you know. Sure. But, but then to have you and uh, you and Mike and Adam eventually and Lamar and Todd all get behind it, and we made that record, the Voce Project, in two thousand and ten. It's still to this day one of my favorite records because it was just a a moment in time, right? Sure. We didn't overproduce it. We didn't you know, really try to even fix it. And there are certain things that I probably would have done differently were we to cut that record tomorrow. But I just love going back to that moment where we were hitting and and feeling it out, you know, and, and you're creating these uh, incredible parts. I uh, uh, the, the, the biggest one that sticks out to me is your bass line in Snow Falling on Woodbridge Street. I remember playing you, it was a, it was a super basic song, but you... You did this this bass line and and you know you I think you were just it has chords around. in it yeah you were just fucking around <laughs> all right and I was like hold on what's that you know I never experienced anything like it um, and then you know whatever t- ten or twelve years later occasionally we get to work together honored uh-huh. to 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 still share the stage with you and um, and be part of of the energy that you bring. <laughs> <laughs> Me talking crap on stage, <laughs> talking shit all the time. Shit. Getting the <laughs> getting the the waiter to bring you cocktails from the stage. Well, you guys, man, you guys had cocktails. <laughs> I was like, nobody wanted me to have a libation. How's this? Adam's getting stuff delivered. I felt left out a little I bit. Know. I uh, that's that's on me. I should have. Uh, I should have placed a band order. But. You know, equally laudable <laughs> in your in your music, uh, you were open to those things. Yeah, you know, uh, my my primary living is playing on original music. Yeah, 
So when you say this is my song and this is what I want to do, that's very real to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's very real to me. If if you're primarily a a cover musician, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's definitely an art mm-hmm. and a discipline in that too. But if you're primarily a cover musician, you don't see original music as an opportunity to truly be heard. But my main gig is playing right. original music, recording original music. And your music, to me, represented a genuine opportunity to be heard. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Uh, you're speaking about uh, Snowfallin'. Mm-hmm. Think about when John Mayer plays Good Love Is On The Way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Pino Palladino just wrecking that tune. Mm-hmm. No producer is going to say do that. Right. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It takes an artist that's open to those ideas and somebody that really wants to do something that's unique, maybe stands out, but completely serves the music. Right. Yeah, that's a fine line, it, right? Yeah. It's, it, this is a trick that people feel is, is simple. It's a lot easier to describe than it is to do, mm. to play something on someone's record that highlights what you do, but completely showcases the person serves, you're supporting. Serves the song in yeah, a way. In a way. Yeah. Almost, it, it, I can't, you know, and, and John Mayer, and that trio is, that's one of my favorite co- collection of, of musicians, not only songwriter. Likewise. But holy shit, that band. That trio Killer. It's incredible. Pocket for days. Oh my god. Melodicism. Yeah. The vocal. You know, yeah. I love great singers, and you sing unbelievably well in the same way. So oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I see that. I I saw that that whole thing as an opportunity, and then when you were open to what was going to be brought, that yeah, that just really blew it wide open to me. And I think that. I, I mean, I don't know if any other approach to that music and that band would have worked. You know what I'm saying? Everyone in that band is so capable of doing just that. Sure. Right? Talk about Lamar Gaines for days, Adam Armijo, same thing. Oh, yeah. You know it when you hear it, right? Yeah. Just like you. Completely original stylist. Yes. Everybody with their own voice, but willing to hear what the other has yes. to say. Yes. It's, it seems like it's easy, but it's very, very rare to find. And you put, you know, you put six people on stage and you still can hear different conversations happening at all times. Someone latches onto this, you know, LG and Adam are, are riffing on something. You know, Todd is picking up on something Mike's doing. You're hearing what I'm doing. Like, it's this crazy six-way beautiful conversation that I had never experienced on that level before. And it sounds like everyone is still speaking in unison. Right. I mean, what a what a incredible moment for me, to, you know. Anyway. And me too. Well, that's I mean, all. don't don't I mean, don't think that that that's an unusual occurrence. That, yeah. that that music is is really a significant part of my musical life. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, 
I know that uh, I know that you didn't grow up in Arizona. I did not. You're a Colorado kid. Grew up in Colorado with a little bit of time in New Jersey. Can we can we go back to that moment for a minute? Because I love asking um, early musical memories. Like, what what records do you remember in the in the in the crib? And then I love how people find their instrument. Right. Oh wow. So can we do? Can we talk about yeah, those two things? Uh, and and I where mean, did you grow up exactly? Denver. Well, I grew up in Denver. Yeah. Like right in Denver, and um, the music. You know, what was funny was Aretha Franklin reminded me of my mother. I would see her picture uh, on the cover of Young, Gifted, and Black. And her mannerisms, to me, reminded me of my mother. You know, they, it wasn't, they didn't look like they were sisters or anything. But there was just, and later, uh, I, I just kind of realized that it was that, that dignity mm. that black women have. Mm -hmm. My mother had it, mm. and Aretha Franklin had it. But I used to look at that record, and it reminded me of my mother. Mm. But my mom was a fan of really, really great music. So the records that we would listen to were Aretha Franklin. Rocksteady was on that record. Uh, Daydreaming. Uh, oh me, oh my, I'm a fool for you. Mm -hmm. We would. I I wore that record out. Marvin Gaye, Baby, Don't You Do It, Twine Time. Do you know a song called? I don't. These are old R and B. Uh, James Brown. Uh, lots, lots, and lots of Marvin Gaye. Mm -hmm. But generally, in that, the staple singers. Mm -hmm. That that kind of of. Easygoing soul mm -hmm, mm -hmm. was was always in mm -hmm. the house. I didn't find my way to the bass. Uh, the first time that I told someone that I played the bass, I actually didn't know why I told them that. I, I swear to God on my life. It, <laughs> I, I just knew that I played the bass. <laughs> I, man, there was this... <laughs> There was this girl. She lived next door. <laughs> okay, now we're getting. We, now we're getting funny. to the bottom. We of it. lived. Yeah, 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 all right. We lived in a duplex uh, at 38th and Fairfax in Park Hill, and there was a girl that lived next door. Uh, her name was, I want to say Darnetta, something like that. Darnetta looked good. <laughs> What year but, was this? Man, well, I, I mean, was just a little like how, kid. How old were you? Well, I was like five. <laughs> Listen, man, you're laughing. You're laughing at my situation, No, man. baby, I, I'm in complete support of it. I was five, but Darnetta gave me that feeling. Uh-huh. And one day, Darnetta, she had, you know, Darnetta had a moped, like when mopeds were like the newest thing ever. <laughs> right. Like nobody had technology. a, yeah, nobody had a freaking <laughs> moped. Anyway, she had a moped. And Darnetta played the bass. She actually had a bass. No kidding. She never let me touch the thing. She uh -huh. showed it to me one time through the door. But I told Darnetta, I play, I, that's what I play. Well, that's so funny that you play the bass. I play the bass. I play the bass. You play it too? Yeah. Huh? And 
Darnetta told my mother, and I was kind of like, now why would you go tell my mother what I was saying? Anyway, my mom was like, I don't, what, what is it? She asked me later, you know, what, what, what is this, the bass? And Pop Staples and the Staples singers were on TV on the Flip Wilson show. You remember Flip Wilson? I don't. Okay, so Flip Wilson had a TV show. It's like a variety show. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And Flip had this character called Geraldine, where he'd dress up like a chick and just, you know, talk crazy, kind of like Tyler Perry does yes. now. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but his musical guests were the Staples singers. Mm. And on stage, <clears throat> Pop Staples was playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who it was playing the bass, but. I pointed the bass out. I said, Mom, that's the one. That's the one that I play. And I don't know that she really got it, but I knew. Meanwhile, you had never played the bass. I never never held a bass. I I don't even think that I really had heard the word bass until Darnetta said it. And when I said it to her, I didn't say it because I was trying to impress her. I mean, you would get that impression. But when I said it, I, I said it, I was really deeply convicted that this is what I do. And now, you know, I'm in my 50s and I think about that and it's like, wow, I really did that. Like I, that I, is... I didn't find my way to it. it. It found its way to me. Right, right. And, you know. <laughs> that... Mickey Mouse. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> my wife gave me a Mickey Mouse watch. So, at what point do you actually play a bass? I was in the sixth grade when I played a bass for the very first time, held it in my hand for the very first time. The music teacher's name was Diane Beer. She had a bass and she brought it to school. And I knew that I played it, but I couldn't play it. (laughs) And when she let me hold it, that thing was so big Mm -hmm. and heavy. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do anything with it. And she showed me how to play a blues bass line. Uh-huh. But then she did something that I never would have expected any teacher to do, you know, looking back. She put the thing in the case and she said, why don't you take it home for a little while? And she let me have it for like two weeks. Mm. So I took this thing to my house for two weeks. Mm. And Did you, you have an amp? No. Did but you know how to tune it? No. Love it. But I just, I, me and this thing were just connected. Into the great wide open. Uh, yeah. Oh, and, man. You know, my parents, they saw it and they were like, what are you, you going to do with that thing? You know, yeah. you know what to do with that? And I was like, ah, yeah, I know what to do in there. I play the bass. But they weren't discouraging. You right. know, they were like, all right, well, you know, you do you kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, she let me have it for two weeks. And two questions. Yeah. Was it her bass? Uh, I, I have every reason to believe, yeah. Yeah, right. And do you remember the, the, the make and model? No. It was just like a... Just a bass. A bass, had four strings. Had four strings, because fives and sixes didn't exist then. Right, right. Oh, for sure. Or, the, or they did, and they were just happening, but no one... Right. You know, I remember Jimmy Johnson played the very first five string. It was made by... Really? I think it was made by Olympic. And he still plays that bass now. G- Cat Jimmy for James Johnson. Taylor. Yeah, James yeah. Taylor. Wow. That five string is one of the five first five strings in the world. Holy. He still plays it. And he he I think he was the first person to actually well, one of the first. It was either him or Anthony Jackson hmm. 
were the first to record the low B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But right. Jimmy had it with the low B. Instead of him going higher, he did I a see. lower string. So it had to be a four string. Yeah. And so you took I, it on for two weeks. Yeah. You shed on it. Did yeah. you have like a book? Nah. You were just running that one scale that she taught you. Yeah. Just like, and not even running that right. <laughs> Listen, man, I Exploring spent the space. Man, I spent those those two <laughs> weeks picking that thing up, living the life of somebody who played the bass. Right. Watching the reactions of people who thought that I played the bass, but not knowing jack shit <laughs> about playing the bass. But it was enough to get me hooked. I love that so <laughs> much. I love I'm gonna let it all ride tonight. Leave my money down, but you can't see that you know me well. All right, so sixth grade, you get this bass, you eventually bring it back to your teacher. Yeah. And then I'm assuming there was a music program at the high school. Well, after that, sixth grade was over. And the high school that I went to was brand new at the time. It was Montbello High School. Montbello High School, they had just built this state-of-the-art modern high school. And it had the high school, grades 9 through 12, but it also had the junior high or middle school, okay. grades 7, 8, and 9. Okay. Or middle school, 7 right. and 8, and right. then high right. school would be 9, nine 10, 11, yeah, 12. Right. But it had from 7 to 12. And so I went there, and you know that... That uh, that school had jazz band and had all those things, but I didn't participate in jazz band because, I, number one, I was too young. Two, I couldn't play. I couldn't read music or anything. And three, I didn't really know how to find out how to get involved in that. Hmm. What I knew was that there was a guitar class that I could take. So I took the guitar class. And me and another guy used to sit in the back of the room and, and figure out bass lines. Well, during, during the guitar lesson? During the guitar class. Huh. And the teacher, his name was Robert Bartolot. He hated that. He was so mad at us for that. You had to sit in the back figuring out bass lines. And it's like you're not really learning, you're not learning guitar. And I'm in the back of my mind like, okay, well, you're mad, but I mean, it's all about the bass, bro. I have to... <laughs> It's about the bass for me. Right. This right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get close to the right. bass. Right. It, you know, this ain't really a bass, but right. you're a stepping stone, bro. Right. And right. I didn't have, you know, I didn't really say that to him. Sure. But it was. Yeah. And the other thing was that we would finish the class and we would race out of that class as fast as we could because the jazz band was just two doors down. Okay. And if we hurried, we could catch those guys at the end of their their rehearsal. These are high school kids. Yeah, You're in they're high seventh, school. I'm eighth. in seventh yeah, grade. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the seventh grade. Right. And the the bass player was a name a guy now called T Trimble, and he would thump. The Is bass. that right? He would funk the bass after class was over. Oh, he that, would play some funk on. The that's bass. when the real class started. Well, yeah, and that's when we would go down there and be like, oh, and that was it for me. That's what it was in the seventh grade. In the eighth grade, my family moved to the East Coast. I didn't really fit in with the other kids. This is On Jersey? The, this is in there, in Princeton, New Jersey. Yeah. Ivy League, the whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, my father had a great job. We lived in an unbelievable neighborhood. Everything about that was cool. 
but we did I I mean I can't speak for my brothers but I think I think we put on like like we made out all right but for me personally I, I didn't really fit in with the other kids and I I struggled this but is, the thing that yeah. got me through was that I knew that I played the bass so I had something mm-hmm. Right. You know, to hold on to when I socially wasn't fitting in and wasn't really doing well in school, in the back of my mind, I knew that I had this thing that I could do. Well, and it was, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, it was part of your identity. It really was my right? identity. And you knew that part of your identity. You're changing, you know, Denver to Jersey, Denver to Princeton. Oh, yeah. There's I mean, not we're much talking, more culture shock right, than that. Right, Exactly. Yeah. But the but the touchstone, the, the 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 thing that you could go back to, the thing that you had been developing as your self-expression, it's this instrument right yeah. here. Yeah, and I didn't really have, I can't say that I had any real skill, like real skill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I knew that I had a certain kind of raw talent, mm-hmm. though it was, you know, unrefined and... I don't even know if it was a diamond in the rough. It was like a rock that kind of got busted open. And, it was, and when it got busted open, it was a little bit shiny. And somebody was like, hey, well, the person that, that you know, it's a long story. Um, and That's why we're here. We're and, here for long stories, man. All right. Come and on, man. I got my first bass that belonged to me at that time when I was in the eighth grade from Farrington's Music. My mother got it for me. She rented a bass. And, uh, you know, that year kind of flew by and I ended up in Princeton High School. And I would go see the the jazz band because it was a famous jazz band, studio jazz band. And the teacher, he saw that I was interested but he uh, he didn't know if I read music, and he asked, and I said, no, I don't. I've never done that before. And he didn't really have any use for me after that. One day he kind of listened to me play the bass a little bit. The guy let me hold the bass. He let me play. But he just kind of straight up told me, you know, you're, not, you're, not, you're never really going to be a bass player. You don't mm. really have the talent for it. You mm. should probably find something else to do. Mm. Well, he was a dick. Who the fuck says that? Well, this guy. To a fucking eighth grader. Yeah, he's Who's a fucking passionate about something. Yeah. and Go, f- but go fucking jump in the river, bro. There was another guy, the assistant, a guy called Ferdy Serum. Man, this guy. That's a hell of a name. He was the sweetest cat, and he pulled me aside, and he was like, man, if you want to learn some stuff, I'll show you some stuff. He showed me some stuff, but the thing that he did was he said, if you really want to do this, you can do it. Yeah. Basically, you just have to learn. And yeah. if you don't know, that's not your fault. Right. But if you can learn it and you just refuse to learn it, that is your fault. Right. So you should just learn. I'll show you some stuff. If you want to hang out before school, I'll meet with you and mm-hmm. I'll and and he did. And he was a bass player? He played everything. I think oh. his main thing was drums, but he played enough bass uh-huh. to be to be I mean dangerous to me. Right, right. And he hooked me up. Uh well the event that led to that, the band was gonna go play with Dizzy Gillespie. Holy shit. Yeah. And oh my God, I wanted to go so bad. And 
I got on the bus. I was the last person to get on the bus and there was really no place to sit, but nobody would make room for me. And I ended up turning around and getting off of the bus. I didn't get to go. But after that is when Ferdy kind of took me under his wing. Yeah. But I mean, I still think about that to this day. I didn't really fit in with any of the kids over there. So uh, it was a little bit bittersweet when we moved back to Denver. We moved back and I was back in my neighborhood. Kind of strange because... You know, really close friends had kind of grown up a little bit and moved on a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, but I found my way to the music room and my teacher was Steven Gonzalez. And he, he really did give me the foundation, the musical foundation, like the reading music, the theory, the musical knowledge. That time when I was in, in the second neighborhood in New Jersey, was when I latched on to a band called Rush. <laughs> I was Fucking always, me, yeah. Bro. I mean, I was always learning funk tunes and R&B tunes. And, you know, I was into black music. I was black. And, um, but I, I just sort of heard this band Rush. And when I moved back to Denver, the Rush record that was out at that time was Subdivisions. I could play every Rush record note for note. Wow. Every tune. And my weekend would be spent. I would start with Fly By Night. Yeah. John Rutsey on drums before Neil Peart. Oh, no. No yeah. shit. I didn't realize that. So I would play every Rush song. I mean, every one. Permanent Waves. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Moving Pictures. All of them up until the end of Subdivisions. Wow. That was my practice. So when I got back to my high school... I think my teacher, Gonzo, I call him Gonzo, Stephen Gonzalez, he saw that I had some ability. Put some time in, like too. I, yeah, like I could really play those Rush tunes, and he was like, okay, whoa. He goes, but you need to back that up with some some information. You know, uh, how, to, you know how to do, but you don't know why you're doing what right. it is that you're doing. You can hear, you can translate to your fingers, but you need to understand the, the why. Yeah. Yeah. And he gave me that. Wow. So that was my high school. He got me involved in the high school uh, jazz band, the citywide bands, and that really uh-huh. that really got me literate. Yeah. And and on my way. Did you ever do the upright thing? I did in college a little bit. Yeah. But I didn't want to carry it around, man. I'm, no, Because I'm a slag of lazy. Bro, <laughs> that's why I switched from drums to guitar. Put that shit on your back. Yeah, man. You're way more mobile. Listen, man, I see these cats hauling these keyboards and drums around. I'm like, that sucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. But that's that pretty much is my story with, with Steven Gonzalez. Yeah. He pretty much, the thing that he taught me was how to learn anything that I wanted to know. So that's after huge. that, yeah. So my musical education was, okay, I'm going to see this band play at a club. I'm going to write down all the songs that they're playing. Right, right. And anything that they that they play that I don't understand, I'm going to go find a music book. Right. And that knowledge that Gonzalez had given me. In was, high school. Yeah, yeah, had guided me, okay, this is the book that I need. That's right. the chord I'm hearing. Right. I need to learn what's up with that. So that's the whole story. That's I how it. I learned. I love it, man. I mean, I, I just, I'm fascinated by how, People come to music in such different ways, you know, via, um, and oh, one question I, I, I meant to ask was, 
um, you mentioned some brothers. You're, you're, I have two brothers. Yeah. Are they younger? No, I'm in the middle. You're in the middle. I have an older brother and a younger brother. See, I'm fascinated by how having older or younger siblings affects the music that you are exposed to. What's the age difference? Between my brothers and I? Yeah. My older brother is two years older than me, two years and like eight months, nine okay. months, something like that. My younger brother is a year and four months. Okay, so very than. close. We're My younger brother and I are very close in age. Yeah. And, and so I guess that would suggest to me that you all were kind of listening to the same stuff, right? That, or Yeah, you know, my younger brother... I I got that he was he was somewhat into music, but I think at that time he might have just been kind of following his older brother around. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But now that we're older, I see that he has a genuine interest, just not enough to make it his his living. Right. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he records things and buys stuff all the time and plays. And but not even not even performing, but just the music that in his life w- w- that was brought into the house. Yeah. That exposes everybody to a different thing, you know. Yeah, my older brother. I I don't remember my older brother being into music at all. Oh, okay. Like I don't remember him listening to any well, that's particular a thing music, too, right? But but he was really gifted. Like he could draw. He was really artsy in a way and mm-hmm. meticulous. Like he would build these model cars and mm-hmm. like paint the engines. They look like real. Like they right. were real. Right. And so that was his sort of create. All of us were artistic in a way. Right. In that way, the creative that you find yes. on our side of town, if you will, and um, but he, I never, I never got that he was into music. And then you know, it, later in life, he just kind of let all of that go. Isn't that crazy how that happens? I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know that I could let music go if if I chose to do it. If I said, okay, I'm going to sell all of my stuff. I just don't know that I could get the music out of my mind no. and, and off of my heart. Right. I just don't know. I know. I'm I'm forever bound. Yeah, I know. You know? It's like a blessing and a curse, you know? <laughs> I, man, you you are telling the story now. Bro. Well, let's take a break because you need another taste. Let's have another taste. Yeah, and then we'll come back. All right. I heard he made it up, so still we go. Taste. A nice little taste here. Listen, man, you can't make this taste taste good. You know what I'm saying? 
I'll, I'll start making bad drinks. How about I, that? I'll be drinking this shit, and then I'll be running for office like, ooh, I remember some shit I said to Brian Chartrand. Check the podcast. Yeah, man. Cheers, man. I appreciate you. So, love you, man. Love, love rapping with you always. Man, I love you, too. And bro. I love making music with you. It's, it's such a joy of mine. It is a treasure in my life. That is a real thing. Oh, that's, I'm going to put that on my gravestone. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you have a choice what's on right. your gravestone? <laughs> Come on, man. Um, all, right, so, all right, so back in Denver, you uh, finish yeah. up high school. Now you're digging in. Now well, I went to college in Nebraska. Okay. Yeah, t- t- walk me through that. Uh, I just went to college. You know, I never really talk about it a lot, but... I went to a small school in Nebraska, and I majored in HR, human resources and accounting. And then it was over. <laughs> How long did that last? <laughs> Four years. No shit. Oh, uh, yeah. So, all right. So, so. And then I came back to Denver, and uh, I took a job. I was going to have to go back for a fifth year, but the only thing I had to do were... Uh, Elective hours, mm-hmm. and so they had a residency rule, and I didn't go. I chose not to go because it was like twenty thousand dollars. A residency rule meaning you had to be you had on to campus. be on campus. So I didn't. I took a job so that I could get back into school and maybe pay for that. I see. But then I took the job, and they were like, "Hey, if you work here for six months, you know, we'll pay for you to get back into school." Uh-huh. And I was like, "Okay." I did the six months, and they came to me like. Hey, we're gonna give you a full time job, but if we give you a full time job, you don't you lose your time. Oh yeah. It's like you motherfuckers. Yeah, that's some bait and switch shit. Yeah. And so I wasn't really cool with it, but at that particular job, I uh I worked what was called a split. And I had gotten real serious about the prospect of being a musician. And a split was I would come into work from 8 o'clock a.m., work until noon, and then from noon until 4, I was free. But this place was like 30 miles away from my house. So you can't go home. So I can't go home. Right. You know, if I go home, it's going to take me roughly an hour. Right. And then you it's going to... turn around. Yeah, I'm only going to have two hours to be there. Right. So I got real serious and started peeping what was happening on the music scene around town. And I started creating what was called my, what I call my master list. If I want to be a musician, what do I do to get hired? And the first thing is learn the songs that everybody is already getting paid to play. So I would go see a band play. At a bar. At a bar or a club. And I would bring a notebook. And I would write down the names of all the songs that they played. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And at that time, you know, the internet didn't exist. Right. YouTube wasn't happening. Right. You didn't have all this easy shit. There wasn't a real easy way right. to get your hands on music. Sure, there was bootlegs, but you had to actually connect with a human being to do it. So right. I would always find a way through either asking someone in in that particular band or... I would go and find someone that used to play in that band and mm. say, hey, did they ever have kind of a work tape? Remember mm. back in those days, yeah. you get a work tape from yeah. a band, they make a, a cassette tape yeah. or a CD of all the songs that they did. Sure. And I would get my hands on those. Yeah. 
But when I would get home, I would look at all of those tunes and I would write a chart for every one. Huh. Then I would go back and see the band. I would, you know, oh, make and, a con- and watch the chart. Watch the chart. And read the and, chart down over what he's playing. And and make, make changes notes. to yeah. the chart. Wow. Once I had done that a few times, my master list had grown to be like three, four hundred tunes, yeah. right? So I would go to the gig and I would say to the band leader, hey man, I know all of your tunes. I'm I'm really just trying to learn how to be a great bass player. Yeah. And if you would let me play one night, you could don't don't pay me. Right. Because I have a gig. I you know, I right. I work at the phone company. I'd show them my little badge and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would be like, you can pay that guy to stay home. No and shit. and I'll go talk to him too. Yeah. And yeah. I would go talk to him and be like, hey man, I don't want your gig. I'm not trying to take your gig. Just, I'm just trying to get some experience just playing. To work this out a little bit. So if you want to take your girlfriend out, he's gonna pay you yeah. for the night that I'm gonna play. And you know what's up. Bro. And you had this shit. Well, I had to do it. In. I couldn't get any experience right. because you show up to a hit. Right. You know what it's like if somebody comes to your gig like, hey man, let me play. You're like, man. I'm not, this motherfucker playing. I'm not sure about that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So it worked. And once people really saw that I was legit trying to move my thing forward, but not at their expense. Right. Then I started getting some bass players. They would call and be like, hey, man, I really want to take my girl out. You know, can Perfect. you can you learn? Do you know these tunes? And can you come and do it? Right. And I would do it and let them get paid. Oh man, because you know I had a day job. Right. Sure, I could have used the money. I wasn't rich, but right. I considered it like I'm paying for my education exactly. to get some real on stage experience. Yeah. And and so I did that for a while. One of the gigs that that I pursued was uh, a smooth jazz saxophone player in Denver. I started showing up at his gigs and writing down all the songs. Some of the cats in the band were real suspicious of that shit. You know, they came over like, what the fuck are you writing? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and I would tell him, hey, man, I'm just writing down what you're doing, writing down the songs. I'm just trying to learn and blah, blah, blah. But they, you know, they were real suspicious about uh-huh. it. There, there's, there's always kind of a, I, I, I don't know, I don't want to attach a name to them that's negative, but... You get older and you become more protective of your turf mm-hmm. because you just don't have the same kind of hustle to go find another piece of the pie. Right. Like when you were in your 20s. Well, when right. you're in your 50s and 60s, you need that shit to stay solid. Right. And you're relying on the loyalty of those 20, 30 years that you've been working together. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, of course. So, you know, some of the cats, they were real suspicious of what I was doing. And uh, I was peeping that cat's game. Because he recorded half of his record in New York and half of it in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if I get on this cat's hit, I can, I can, I can go to New York, I can network, I can right. go to L.A., I can network, and I can work a lot more in town because I'll have this really prominent gig. So, and this cat doesn't have any brothers in his band. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> He played, they play mostly black music. I show up, he's playing funk like a black band. He's playing the smooth jazz like a black band. But <laughs> hey, man, they're not yeah. black and it don't sound black. Right. And, and I got in that cat's ear. I was like, hey, man, you, your record's got to stand up next to Gerald Albright records and Kirk Whalen records and Norman Brown records and right. Jeff Lorber records. It doesn't have that. You need me. Yeah. 
yeah. kind of thing. You were working uh, for the phone company, and you did the eight to twelve. You brought the bass, so you would you could shed from four, noon to four. From noon to four, and then and then you finished out. That was the split shift. Yep. Right? And then you finished. I four finished to eight. at eight o'clock. So you would do forty hours a week, right? Or like yeah. a full time thing. But, but then at 8 o'clock, I would go, I'd leave the gig, and if people were playing, I would go see a band right. that night. Right. Do you really want it? Yeah. Had you had experiences prior to that where, where you realized that you could monetize it? Well, the monet the monetization happened in high school. The first time that I played a gig, my friend he's 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 a professor at Amherst now. I know, I love that. His name that's is, like my that's like my hometown. Yeah, you had said that. Fifteen minutes. I grew up fifteen minutes south of Amherst. His name is Matthew Butterfield. Shout out to Matthew Butterfield. Matthew and I share the same birthday. No shit. And I man, I just love him so much. But he was. He was the cat. He called me and said, "Hey man, let's we're going to play this gig. I can't even remember what the thing was. It, it was like maybe a marathon, they were running a race or some sort of parade. Some 5K or yeah, there's some shit. <laughs> and we set up in a in a outside at like a gas station. And the gas station was closed. Right. But right. you know, folks were running by and we were just playing these jazz tunes, right? But it paid $150. And we played for like two or three hours. And man, when he put that cash in my hand, right. it was like... <laughs> I love this. So I was much. like 17 or 18 years old. I was like, I just made $50 an hour. Yeah. And I didn't count the, the hour that it took me to right. get there, oh, the yeah, hour yeah, that yeah. it was going to take me to yeah, get home. Forget about all that shit. Yeah, I didn't want yeah. to think about that. And uh, But I was like, man, if I can do this... This is it. Yeah. This is it. So do math, this five nights a week. That's right. Math, do the math on yeah. that. So, yeah, everything's cool. So Matthew Butterfield is guilty of of, of well, giving gonna, me the bug. I'm gonna reach out to him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hit him. I'm gonna hit him. I'm gonna be in South Hadley in July. I will Is I, that right? Yeah, yeah. I'll hit him up. Man, I'll you go, could tell I'll him. I'll go knock on his door and say Mel Brown sent me, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Tell him Mel sends his regards. <laughs> You got him into this life. <laughs> Motherfucker. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, man. <laughs> but that's when I realized that I could make money. And when I went to college, you know, there really wasn't that much going on because it's a small town in Nebraska. But every now and then, we would go to a town called Lincoln, Nebraska, mm -hmm. where the big college was. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the capital? Or yeah, well, yeah, Omaha is the capital. Omaha, right, 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 right. But we would play these little gigs. Or every now and then there was a gig going on in the town where we were in. Right. And um, the money was good yeah. to do that. And I just thought, man, if I can do this. Because I, all I had had were like, you know, being a teenager and whatnot. Little movie theater jobs, jobs yeah. at fast food, right. Godfather's Pizza, Wendy's. I worked at Wendy's for 10 minutes. There was a fire. I left. Um. That was it. Long John Silvers. That shit didn't no last. Shit. Fish sticks for everybody, bro. Let me tell you. But it was over. It was over fast. But those were the only jobs that I had at the movie theater. Right. You said you had worked at I movie. worked in a movie so, theater all through high school. Man, I was, you know, selling popcorn and nachos. You know, 
one of the coolest music hustles I had was I was in college, and I don't know if you, well, you wouldn't know it because I don't really mention it, but I'm like a huge rap fan. Uh-huh. I love rap music. Yeah. And I rapped on commercials. Really? Yeah, I've rapped on sessions and written raps no for shit. commercials, and, and I'm just into it. Yeah. I, I just like it. And to me, one of the slickest things in the world is like a really clever ass rap. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like Tretch, mm. uh, Boogie Nights, Tupac, uh, Jay-Z. God, man, that cat. He, he's crazy with, yeah. the, with, the, with the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, Eminem, one of the craziest rappers ever. Yeah. I mean, he's so clever. Yeah. Anyway, I was at college and I came up with a rapogram. For Valentine's Day. Okay. So I wrote a tune, and I just put a flyer out that said, hey, send a rapogram to your Valentine. This is the rap that'll happen, but at this point in the rap, I'll say your person's name. Right, right. And so I had no shit. the rap, All I had a four-track recorder. Yeah, Tascam? So, yep. The Tascam, man, that's crazy, you know. I had that too. So the Tascam four-track, I had the beat from a Yamaha... Uh, I can't remember the the name of the machine. It was the black. Remember when the Yamaha, the black drum machines came out with the color pads on? Yes. Them? Okay. Yellow. So they were were they yellow? yellow and some were greenish yes. or whatever. Yes. So I had that. I had the Yamaha drum machine, and before that, I mean, I had a Roland six hundred six Dramatics. It was one of the first drum machines ever made. I had one. Do you still have it? Tell and me, you still have it. I do have one. No shit. Yeah. Like no shit. I have it. And then after that, the 808 came out. Right. I never had an 808, but I had the 606. So That's some OG shit, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> Listen up, kids. I had this Yamaha drum machine, the Tascam 4-track, and I created yep. a funky bass line. Yeah. So I had the, the drum machine on one track. Yep, you had four tracks. So I had drum the, machine, the bass, bass, and then I had sort of bounce the drums and yes. bass onto one yes. track. ping pong. So I had, yep, yep, I had the drums and bass on one track, and then I had the main rap okay. on the second yes. track, and then the third track was where I would put the person's Insert name. Insert the name. Yep. <laughs> and so, man, I must have sold like 100 of those no shit. for like 10 bucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that music lasted me, that money lasted me all year. Oh, my God. That year. The That's Valogram. Awesome. Yeah. Teachers bought, you know, That's other students so bought. so cool. And it was unusual. Yeah. You know, so. Another thing that comes up so often in this podcast is um, how technology affects creativity. Ooh. Right? Oh. I, mean, I mean, I mean, I remember getting, um, actually, it's right over here. It's a little clock, you know, but, yeah, there's yeah. A, but there's a cassette thing and you can record into it. Yeah. That was my bedside. I uh, get it. Thing. When you were going to do your songs and yes. whatnot, because that's when the, the yes, moment was Exactly. Hit you. It was perfect, right? Yeah. It's, the, it's the perfect combination of utility and, and creative technology. And, you know, you, you wake up with an idea, I just click it and I could do it, sing it, sing a melody, whatever. Now, I feel like our generation, my generation, went from not being able to record at home. I mean, that, that uh, foreign concept. Well, that was introduced in our lifetime. Right. Brian. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. We went from zero to full multi-track 
digital recording. Man, we're in logic right now. We're in logic right now. It's and it's so affected my creativity. I remember the first time I got an iMac and, and GarageBand is just part of the fucking I lost my mind. I made more music. Bro, who are you telling? I th- well, yeah, you're the master of this shit. Nah, I'm saying, but woo, you telling the truth right I, now. But, but, you know how technology in our lifetime has has changed so much and affected our ability to do what we do. It it really is incredible. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I, you know, I fantasize that if I was, you know, man, if I was 16 in 1965, then I'd be doing this. No, I almost prefer this moment because the the breadth that we have been able to experience as far as technology has gone from literally zero recording, uh, well, I don't know. Well, you had to have the whole band. Right. And you had to have a room. And a studio. And 24 and track. Yes. You know, a studer. Yes. 24 track studer with Ampex. Uh, what what was it called? Four twenty four twenty four. What was it called? The twelve inch oh, tape. God. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you had to. I mean, you had to get. To, you had to rehearse, right? To cut a record, right? And back then, you knew that cats could play, right? Because you couldn't fake that shit, right? Right? Because you couldn't edit. That's you know, right. They're not they're splicing. Cats had to get a freaking razor, right, to deal with it, right? No man. Listen, and now man, it's and like, that cat was actually cutting. Like, hey man, that's the master recording you're right, cutting. Right. You see what I'm saying? No pressure. Yeah. You and fucked this up. It, yeah. We watched it change. Yes. Listen, man, I I I flipped when I saw that the Mac came yeah. with iPhoto, right, iMovie, right, garage band, everything you need. Keynote, yeah, exactly. iPhoto. And pages. Yeah. Like you could get a Mac with all of that shit built in. Like yeah. if you just get a Mac, yeah. you have everything not only to record your music and be a musician and make, remember when MP3 happened? Yeah. So you could export your song. I remember a cat that would write a new song every week and put it on mp3.com. Do you remember mp3.com? I don't. I don't. MP3.com was like the place where these people were That's putting their songs. Crazy. They were recording them on Macs yeah. and putting them on MP3.com. And they would ask, he started asking people, tell me what you think of this song and like what I should do. It turned into a whole thing. That guy, the, he, I, he got on some show like Dateline or 60 Minutes or something, $300,000 a year. No shit. Because his following was so big. Oh my God. He would just release a song every week and people would be, oh, that sucks. Oh, you know, you should maybe so add what, these subscription lyrics. based or like, I, I really didn't know. Or whatever. I, I didn't really know how mp3.com worked. Or advertising probably. Or maybe. I, I don't knows? remember how it worked. Yeah. But I know that he would put a song on it like every week. Yeah. And he did that for like 10 years. Wow. But he was making more than most people touring. Right. He and I know tour. that's right. And for me, when the Mac happened yeah. with all of that shit, it was a dream come true to me because every video thing that I had ever tried to do to promote myself existed on this one machine. Yeah. They wanted hella money for that shit. But if you did it, you literally got everything. Everything you needed. Everything. Like like front to back, right? Like visual, audio. That's right. You know, you said, you know, keynote and, and, and iMovie. Like you could do everything on this machine. Yeah. And, and that was, that unlocked 
a huge amount of creativity for me. Well, yeah. And I mean, for me, my creativity, I was, I wanted to be a session musician. So I had that creativity. And what I was trying to do was put together rock solid musicianship and creativity with marketing. Like I really wanted to market myself because I was a late bloomer. I moved to LA. It was just before my 30th birthday. Season three of So The Story Goes is brought to you by the Engstrom team, which is Becky, Carrie, and Kate. This is a mother-daughter real estate team with Coldwell Banker Realty. They've been selling the Phoenix metro area for 25 years, and they know the market well. Are you a first-time home buyer? Do you need more space for your family? Are you wondering if this is the right time to sell? Call the girls and they will walk you through the entire real estate process. Listen, they treat their clients like family. And I should know because they help me find my crib. Check them out. Engstromteam.com. That's E-N-G-S-T-R-O-M team.com. They're going to help you out. I created a Steely Dan band in town because I someone told me that they would connect me with that band, and they actually did. I know, and that's what I'm. I thought to that I would get about. to play, and th- and someone from their organization actually reached out to me. Well, that's why I thought you learned that whole book was because of that. yeah. I'd learned all the music. Oh my god! And then it didn't happen. I can't even. And then I called a drummer friend of mine and just said, "Man, I want to start a Steely Dan band because I would have gone. All right. my effort would have gone to waste." Right. Had that, you not put that, that book to work. That, that's right. And it turned into a great Steely Dan tribute oh, band. Bad sneakers. Ah, uh, God, I've seen you I've seen you guys play a number of times. It was always a highlight. I've been such a fan of that. That band was freaking ruthless, bro. Bro, assassins. Yeah. Just assassinating. I that loved shit. it. I was such a fan. I'm like a fan already, you know. But then I was like, oh. And it was great when you came and sang. Oh, well. I didn't even know you were into that music until you came and sang. (sighs) And when you came and did it, it had the spirit of that music. You know, people are like, you do a tribute and you do so much stuff just like the record. Right. But you came with that spirit that I think that, that those guys had. When I was in New York, I was playing for this Latin singer. And they were rehearsing in the room across the hall from us. See the Dan was? Yeah. And I got to go into the room and hang out while we were always on our breaks and whatnot. And they were real cool. They invited really? us in. Uh, Becker was playing bass on a Sadowski. Uh, Fagan was yeah. there. Carlock playing yeah. drums. Yeah, uh, Johnny, Johnny Harrington was playing. Incredible. Um, I can't remember the keyboard player's name. Oh, Jim. Jim Beard was playing keyboards uh just a who's on who was on bass for them well walt uh, walter walter was playing bass but tom barney was a bass player okay and uh you know for those rehearsals it was pretty much walter most of the time i saw tom a couple of times what year was this this had to be 2000 2001 when uh just before the two against nature they were rehearsing two against nature oh is that right Uh, yeah all right so live in america had come out I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that was, I think that was maybe 99, 2000. And at the time, I wasn't that familiar with their music. Is that right? I was I was familiar with some of it, because, I mean, you can't really be a bass player and not know Chuck Rainey. Right, you right. You know what I'm saying? Holy shit, yeah. yes. 
And so, but I wasn't that fam- I wasn't that deep into the Steely Dan catalog. Yeah. yeah. But when I when I went into the room and they Holy were across fuck. the hall, that's that was my introduction to like, okay, I'm about to go buy. My thing was that I would go buy every record that a band made right. and learn every song. Right. And that's what I did. Back to I the mean, rush days. Yeah. Right? I spent almost three or four hundred dollars buying every Steely Dan record on CD and making charts for every one of those tunes. Yeah. The the second leg of the Mark Anthony tour. That's what I did. No I was shit. Ma- I was editing video for myself promo and writing Seeley Dan charts. Oh, Jesus, man. There's, we're going to need a part two. I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> I, I, this is too you much. Bore, you bore your people to death no, with this. No, man. No, it's not about them. It's about us, bro. <laughs> it's about this fucking conversation right here. It's never been about anyone else, man. It's about having a... F- Fucking real conversation. I'm into with it. With a beautiful fucking... Mel, love you, man. I, I love you, too. I Man, I, I will talk to you to the end of days. And and I have so much to learn from you. I have a, a ton... I have so much respect for you. I, I'm, I'm just... I'm a fan. You that know? feeling is mutual. Well, thank you very much. Completely. I, 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 your musicality is incredible, but I love the fact that, that you've also... You know, in, in a way, transitioned in in into being an entrepreneur and writing a book and, and starting this other business. And you know, like I don't know, I look at my career, and I and I, you know, I, I feel like I'm gonna have to transition at some point. I'm gonna have to transition and figure some other shit out. And I look to you as an example of someone who has done that successfully. You know. Well, you're already doing it. I think, I think that what you're doing, I think you're documenting the people that are here now. Yeah. And it may not seem, I mean, who am I? I you know, I'm a bass well. player. I live in Phoenix. <laughs> we play music together. I love it. But, but who are we? Maybe, you know, I'd like to think that this small corner of the world called smooth jazz where I like to get down will eventually be seen as being, you know, that my work in this genre will eventually be seen as being impactful. Not because it's on billboard, not because, you know, the record sold or the artist did well, but because somebody looks back at the craft of, of playing bass and through some sort and of objective analysis, they arrive at, wow, he really cared about his craft. And these things could be regarded, you know, as standards or, mm-hmm. or as mm-hmm. pedagogy in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. We don't do a good job of, of documenting our time in this way, but you're, you're doing it. And maybe your transition, not, I wouldn't even call it a transition. I think that you're going to sing these stories like Worth the Fight that, (laughs) man, that breaks my heart every time I hear it. (laughs) That means so much. That means so much to me. I, I think you'll do that. And at the same time, through a podcast that you do at your house. That we record on a Mac that right. didn't exist when we started. Right. <laughs> it is crazy. That you'll capture the stories 
of some people who maybe 20 years from now, right. 50, 100 years from now, yeah. will be seen as being like, wow, they were important in this way. And he he got it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? These archives that you create yeah. will be the ones that matter. Well, that, I, I think it's important. That that means a ton to me, man. I I'm uh, I just I love rapping. I feel like I have very very talented friends, and I just love the conversation. I missed it, you know, and that's that's one of the things that I lost uh, last year. COVID. <laughs> Hashtag pandemic. Ooh. You know, I just I love having a taste with friends and rapping, like. That's my favorite thing. That's it, ever. man. You know, and if we get to make music, great. I'm, I'm, I'm more about community friendship, you know, and and that's what I've been chasing forever and ever. How lucky am I? You know, I get to I get to make this music with incredible musicians, and and we and you know what, man? At the end of the day, it's just fun, and and that's. I don't know. That's what I've been chasing. I love it that we share that. <laughs> I know. What, it's funny that you describe it in the same way that I would describe it to you. Yeah. The same things that draw you to this, they're the same things that draw me. Yeah. And we're getting the same thing out of it. Right. How, I mean, how often does that happen? Almost not, never. Not often. It doesn't happen. No, it doesn't and happen. And so to, yeah. to, to get to live that yeah. as often as we do, it's definitely not to be taken for granted. No. You know, one day we'll look around and it won't be possible. Right. And we'll look at these times like, oh, man. Those are some good times. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> like, and we did it. Like, right. we really took advantage of when we had the opportunity to do it. Yeah. And what's also cool is that, I mean, I don't know who else you're getting on your podcast, but... Man, you're documenting these things. I'm excited to hear who else you get and see what stories they tell. Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. Wow, bro. Man, you're going to have a hard time editing all that <laughs> shit. That's, you, you're going to be editing for like Woo! 10 years. Got some time. Oh, your hair is going to be gray. <laughs> be like, well, Brian passed away. He never <laughs> finished that shit. It was the Mel Brown episode that really took him over the edge and... Uh, he never quite recovered. Man, that motherfucker wouldn't stop talking. I was like, we're done, bro. <laughs> uh, appreciate you, Mel Brown. Likewise. I have a lot of love for you. I, I love you, I, too. I love making music with you. Uh, love chatting with you. I love your energy. I love... I mean, we didn't even get to talk about all the other shit that I wanted to talk about. But Let's make time. Let's make time and do it part matters. two. <laughs> Let's do Thank you, brother. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.